0: Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is
1: Kenneth IPC, coordinator of the African Interparty Dialogue Network, which was launched in Nairobi on July 13, 2023. Uh, Kenneth, could you give us a bit of background on about the, the African Interparty Dialogue Network.
2: Yeah, thank you, Desmond. Um, the African Interparty Dialogue Network, which was uh, formally launched on the 13th, actually goes back 18 months uh, prior. And uh, it all started off with a discussion uh, between civil society organizations, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development. EGAD, uh, ECHOAS, officials, and others in the area of peace and security and good governance. So the background towards it is how can we start off by sharing the experiences of dialogue by bringing in political parties and other actors. And we recognize the fact that on the continent, there are various different types of dialogues and mechanisms which uh, are taking place. So we thought let us start off by having one initial workshop where we would bring together organizations and members of political parties from West Africa and those from East Africa. And that took place, uh, that first meeting took place in Addis Ababa in May 2022. And uh, one of the outcomes of that uh, meeting we found that there was a need to establish a network that has taken uh, since May us here to, to now reach this point of formally launching this network
1: but it seems as if you're actually just focusing on uh, party politics multi-party politics and the problems that arise within the political system there's more to it than just that with the problems in africa isn't it
2: Yes, definitely. And we're taking it from a certain different angle because we're also looking at it from the angle of how political parties can also be constructed. And they are very important actors in conflict prevention and in reducing rivalry and tensions, which are often associated with multi-party systems, but also in terms of their potential role in conflict resolution across the board. So that was one of the parts of the thought process. But another important element is that uh, political parties seem only to be awoken or engaged in particular activities during the electoral period, whereby they are key actors in governance, not only during electoral periods. And have got important roles to play. And they, they can either play a positive role or they can be spoilers. And also it does have a cross boundary um, implications as well. So within the context of all of these various different um, mechanisms which are taking place, and we thought that it would be important to have this network. And I will explain a bit more some of the objectives uh, later on.
1: That's a very good point you've made about politics and opposition parties. In most African countries, the moment a government takes power, it does not want the opposition to play its role of opposing government policies. If they say something, they'll be arrested. But that's part and parcel of the democratic process, isn't it? So I think the network should try and let governments know that the political process does not happen every five years. It's every day until the elections.
2: Yes, but then also at the same time, the three main areas which we're focusing on. And one is um, what is lacking often in our systems is we're also looking at issues of capacity. Because when we look at our political parties and we're all very aware of it, of the need for them to be strengthened and strengthened in terms of really um, within our context, strengthened in terms of their capacity of understanding the key issues afflicting a particular country uh, and the particular and the communities within the country. And there is reading, uh, if we are to be honest with ourselves, and the political parties, the majority of them would admit that they lack capacity and knowledge. So one of the first parts of our components is a whole research component. There's not only one research so that we have evidence-based knowledge on thematic areas which will feed into these political parties, which will feed feed and build their capacity. And then two, uh, something we're embarking on as one of our earlier projects is also research on looking at which type of mechanisms of inter-party dialogue functioning in a constructive and positive manner. Where are the gaps? What can be reinforced? Because at the moment, if we just do a quick scanning of the continent, you'll find that there are these mechanisms in come under different names. In Ghana, it might be IPAC. In Uganda, it is iPod. They're all structured differently and all focused in different Mm -hmm. ways. So when we do the research, which we're going to do and take four countries, two in Eastern Africa and two in West Africa, Mm -hmm. to help uh, a bit more. I think that research and talking from a point of knowledge
1: is where we often lack on our continent. Yeah, that's true. But also really the issue of funding. I mean, if there is one major opposition party, don't you think that uh, there should be some funding for the opposition leaders and shadow ministers to keep governments on their toes? I mean, because once the elections are over, the opposition parties are left with their own devices to survive and to do things which they should do in a democratic society.
2: That one, I, I definitely agree. And uh, I think in some countries there is progress on that side and whereby leaders of the opposition are granted almost semi-ministerial um, status. I mean, yes. I'll give that example of Uganda. But I think that where the issue lies within that is the whole culture of democracy and the whole culture in people's minds. Because even though you might be able to give them these perks, but this attitude of the winner takes all is a problem. And then also the ruling party and the way the ruling party engages with the opposition also does not promote a very conducive environment in many cases. So even if you give them some of these privileges, if certain rules of the game are not respected and that culture is not there, then it becomes problematic.
1: But also, I mean, we blame politicians all the time for things that are going wrong in Africa, but we know that uh, they don't take this action if they are not backed by their supporters. When I mean supporters, I mean members of the ethnic group, because that's the major problem in Africa, ethnicity in politics. And that is where we have a problem. Don't you think so?
2: Yeah, I think it is definitely a, a problem. And again, I think, yes, There is ethnicity, but then again, the responsibility of of our politicians who many times instrumentalize this ethnicity to their own benefits. And there are examples of some countries whereby the leadership, that's where I believe that all of these things really boil down to leadership, honesty, and some seriousness. There are some countries which won't necessarily need to mention where there are positive movements Towards reducing ethnic tensions with deliberate, which then again filters down into the whole culture of democratic culture of dialogue. Uh, as you mentioned, I think in terms of the attitude towards these political parties, uh, mainly from the ruling parties. Yes, and that we're trying to create. They're going to be these platforms for dialogue where there'll be these engagements and interactions between the various parties, so that there is that culture of dialogue of even sitting in the same room as one another. And one way in order to start uh, uh, engaging and in a much more positive manner is to bring together these parties to discuss issues which are important and relevance to the country as a whole. So you know when you start discussing thematic issues, if you're starting to talk about issues on the economy as example, you bring together a dialogue engagement on these thematic areas, it already brings these parties together where they can maybe instead of all the time politicking, maybe start discussing on more concrete issues and that can be an entry point towards being able to have some forms of dialogue. And I think that if we even look at what has happened in some countries where they have inter-party dialogue mechanisms, you'll find that even the mere fact that a ruling party and opposition parties can even be in the same room to even start any discussion is already an achievement. Yes. Uh, in, uh, in in in, uh, in in one sense so that is that is that is um, that is one of the major goals of the network as well
1: but, but i mean interparty dialogue what does that entail because i'm thinking of say the government at least briefing major opposition leaders about what's going on in the country economically politically and also in terms of security which i don't think happens in africa that's why we have a problem coming together to resolve these issues Because, I mean, opposition parties are excluded from all of this. In other parts of the world, opposition parties, opposition leaders, speak with the president or the prime minister every week. Will that work in Africa? Apart from just dialogue to say, how are you? What's going on?
2: You've got a very good point. And that is part of what we are aiming at. And you see, again, some of these mechanisms exist. I'll mention sometimes with all its different faults and so forth. But just say, I won't name countries, but like, you'll find that there is, and it's not only one, but there are a number of them, whereby you have this an interparty type of dialogue yes. forum, where the leaders of the parties come to discuss issues which have been brought to the table. So the head yes. of state does not come in as head of state; he sits on the same level as the other leaders yes. of the parties, and that is an opportunity whereby. The political parties can raise issues where they are on equal footing, which is not perfect, but I have witnessed it is at least a beginning where they can start talking about substantive issues. And that is why, when we do this research, we're going to try and look at the best practices because often, like usual, we are not aware what many countries are doing. As I mentioned, elements and some of these mechanisms are actually yielding some positive results, which eventually are actually seen when at the end of the process. It might not be seen necessarily, but meaning that there's a much more, I won't say harmonious engagement between between the parties.
1: I mean, you are in Kenya, and uh, it's obvious that there's no cooperation between uh, the government of President Ruto opposition led by Raila Odinga. And it's almost a year now since the election and uh, the chaos is still ongoing. How do you think, from your own experience, this should be resolved? Because it seems to see President Ruto is digging his heels in, and uh, Odinga is also digging his heels in, and the process is the people who are suffering. Exactly. And I, again, it's this the issue of, of leadership in my
2: own personal view. And you see, again, I think you're kind of pointing out at something, because you're maybe implicitly trying to mention, well, out of all countries, you know, Kenya do have all of these mechanisms which I'm talking about. Yes. So, even if mechanisms, you know, how do we move forward? And it's a difficult question to answer. But I think, again, that issue of maturity and honesty, I know it sounds like a very fluffy kind of idea. I think that stability also lies with the leadership. I was just the other day, we were just having a small discussion, and uh, somebody just mentioned that when people are told to protest, they don't necessarily know what they're protesting about. I mean, they have grievances, but now again, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go into all of the intricacies of this, but I think that there has to be a certain level of um, introspection also on how we engage. And you are right. It is uh, the grass that suffers.
1: Yes, so in the process, I mean, are you going to involve civil society, Well, I mean civil society, ordinary people to explain to them what this process is all about, so that they themselves can understand that they should not be used by politicians to create problems within their own societies.
2: Exactly. Uh, totally agree with you. And that is also why this network does not only include political parties, but it also includes civil society and other stakeholders, including the private sector. We yes. never really engage in this. So meaning that a multi-stakeholder uh, type of engagement. And also what I have witnessed from experience is that a lot of the times these different stakeholders operate in their various cocoons and do not really have the uh, forums where they can engage at close quarters yes. with each other. For example, is that if a, a particularly I find that now, well, they, they are waking up in many of our countries, but the private sector, which has a very important role to play, can engage and challenge these political parties, yes. civil society as well. And when we talk about civil society, we're not only talking about civil society, organized organizations. So the larger, because again, that's part of our problem. So it has to be a whole inclusive uh, component. And particularly also in the network, Uh, The youth are very much present, and one of the founding members uh, of this network are the African Youth Initiative Network, and we're going to have specific engagement uh, with the youth because we know Africa being a young continent, um, we have to take into consideration all of those issues relating
1: to the youth. The NIPDL is hosted by the EGAD Mediation Support Unit, and the secretariat itself is managed by the Social Innovation Africa. How did this come about? I mean, has EGOT got the potential to move things forward?
2: I think uh, they do, and part of it is actually, if we like it, one issue which always comes up with these various dialogue mechanisms which exist is the issue of ownership. You find that a number of these mechanisms where the question mark has always been, well, this is an initiative, which has come from some other capital outside the continent and been brought to us, and which is also funded by outside. This is a discussion which started amongst the regional mechanisms. And as yes. I mentioned, both was ECOWAS and EGAD, and EGAD took the lead in it. And one important aspect of it is that if we like it or not, EGARD is an intergovernmental organization. So you have the government representatives. So it's got that intergovernmental aspect to it, but bringing in also political parties as well as all the other stakeholders. Um, So it's taking this inclusive approach uh, to it, but in a sense, and what we are also feeling from the region, they feel that we have that type of ownership and that's what we want to read
1: or to read. I think it's a good idea but how will it work uh, in reality because we don't have such organizations that are trying to, to prevent conflict in Africa for example in uh, West Africa there's the, uh, the early warning and response network which should be highlighting uh, issues but it seems as if whatever they come up with politicians or leaders don't listen to them and then when things happen it's too late so I mean will they listen to uh, your organization. I think we're trying to
2: play the long game. Yes. The long game. So that means it's not dialogue of one day or one workshop, and then we all go back, you know, wherever we came from. So it is continuous engagement, continuous dialogue. And that's where it's not about making headlines. You might not necessarily make all headlines, but we hope that through the dialogue, they will be able to be these engagements. And... We have to remember that there are individuals in all of these institutions, all of these parties which we are discussing. They are not remote statues somewhere.
0: You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Uh, My guest
1: today is Kenneth Mpisi, coordinator of the African Party Dialogue Network. Which was launched in Nairobi on July 13, 2023. In all these, Kenneth, there's the uh, danger of social media, which is really creating problems, not just in Africa, all over the world. Because when I see on social media, when some people talk about Odinga and uh, Ruto having a dialogue, there's a lot of opposition from ordinary people. On social media, how will we be able to overcome these deep-seated divisions in African society? That's part of what I
2: was trying to mention, that it's a long process. And again, really, we always shy away from it, I find, on the continent, not talking about the leadership. And these, by the way, I believe in most cases, our this they know better. Yes. They know better. And they know exactly what they're doing. So, but at least when you start, and that's why we have brought in, and it's very important, bringing in the youth in these processes from the very beginning or as early as possible, because perhaps through their engagement, because they are are the future, they're the majority, and they're the ones who have the biggest stake. Hopefully that we would be able to build this culture because you can have all the best constitutions you want, you can have all the different structures, all the best, even electoral commissions. Yes. But if there's not this culture and this respect, and uh, often we joke around, not sometimes, but in, in discussions, about the various actors in these processes playing by the rules of the game, and, but meaning it in a very genuine manner. And sometimes yes. some people say that the problem in some countries is that they had not even agreed on which game they're
1: playing. So how can they reach the
0: rules?
1: Well, exactly. That's the point I was about to make. You see, in Africa, Mm -hmm. most countries have just adopted a hybrid system of governance. You have a president and his ministers who are not members of parliament, and you have the parliamentarians. So, I mean, you have the American system and the British system. How will that work in Africa where you need to have a more coordinated governance system? Because if the ministers are not in parliament to answer questions, how will things work? Yeah, that's true. But I think, again, uh, if we actually
2: allow our systems to operate yes, and give them a chance, then all what you are saying is possible. But because we do not allow them to operate, and we, we are the same ones who are actually shooting ourselves in the foot, yes, and yes we can always have that discussion even in more advanced as they call them advanced uh, or developed uh, democracies yes some you know even we look at the american system they say and we look at the more the european i mean the parliamentary or the executive type of system yes. everybody has their pros and cons you know even when we say how democratic are elections in a place which is really a two-party system, or, or so forth and various, but at least you are allowing the system to operate. Yes. But our problem of too much interference uh, in it, I think, is a major issue. But hopefully, through all of these dialogues and engagements, which are not only just for talking, but also to support the system, where you see the glaring um, issues which are structural which need to be changed. And some of the issues which are also raised already in some of the national inter-party dialogues are issues of funding, financing political parties. They're they're the issues of the restrictions and the liberties, the restrictions on political parties' operations. They're obviously uh, issues which are raised about the electoral processes, the electoral systems itself. Um, and these are issues which are raised um, in these type of forums, which hopefully do come to the forefront and where they can be uh, changes and uh, amendments.
1: Yeah. What about the issue of the proliferation of political parties? I mean, doesn't that actually negate the governance system? So people then have such a huge choice, then the votes are just wasted, more or less, isn't it? No, definitely. And, you know,
2: a lot of the parties are briefcase parties. <laughs> exactly. And um, quite a lot of research which has been done, you know, they have yes. many, yes. have over 80 parties, even I think some others are 100, 120. Yes. But yes. you only find that there are about four or five of them, which actually have a constituency of any structure. So, definitely, you have a good point there because um, those are some of the questions. What should be the criteria, what should be the regulation around that. And what you do find, and you've hit a very pertinent point there, because even in the current inter-party dialogue mechanisms, they have certain criteria for membership. Yes, Not everybody can be part of the club. Not because you want to necessarily exclude them, but you also have to have people of the club, members of a club, in a sense, inverted commas, who actually have a constituency, who are responsible to people. So that is also another danger, as you're saying, because some of these other smaller parties or individuals can end up being spoilers. They don't represent anybody, and they end up really becoming a, a bit of a problem. So this is where, again, what we're already aware of, this also came out strongly in that first meeting of ours, whereby all of our mechanisms are so different, the criteria of membership. I'll give you an example. Uh, In some of these national dialogue forums, you find that to belong to that forum, you should at least have one member of parliament, which is fair enough, that's a good enough criteria. But then uh, in, in another country, in country Y, they say yes, but we also include those parties which have representatives at the local level. Which mechanism, which criteria is um, no. more effective? It should be the national level, I think. Don't you think? Possibly. But then I'll give you an example of ex-country whereby the one particular party might have one member of parliament. Yes. But then he's still included in this club where the others have 200 and something. Yes. And another one has 30. And then what you might find, and this is one of the points of discussion, then what you might find is that there are some parties which might not be represented in parliament, but you might find that they're very strong at the district level, at the local governance level. So the point about it is that, and I think that's a point you're getting to, is about the representation and the the real voice of the people. I personally think that it is good to have a mix uh, because some of these for various, I believe, Obviously, the voice of the people and the engagement is better represented at the most local or most basic level. And where you actually get, here's the real concerns and uh, views and engagement of the people.
1: Yes, there's also another problem whereby mm-hmm. voters vote for people for a certain party. And then when they get to parliament, mm-hmm. The things are looking with they cross over to the government, like we like saw in Kenya. And that should not be the case, because the people voted for them because they were representing the party, they supported, not the government party. How do you overcome that? That is a
2: problem, and that is one of the structural problems. Should we put it that this flow, what they call flow crossing, you know, can be banned. Some countries, you're, you're not allowed to do that. And if you do that, you know, they have to have a by-election or something, yes. or, or some yeah. sort. So again, these are the issues which can be discussed in such forums in whereby they can be lobbying to sort of say, you know, to put this to the forefront that we ban that, which I think I agree is an issue.
1: Or at least the the person might see it as an independent rather than a crossover. If you're not happy with your part, will that be okay? Exactly. But then again, there's also that issue of
2: independence. which also becomes a problem. Because what happens in certain places is that if you lose your primaries, you then run as an independent. You're not really representing the views of your party or a particular policy. I mean, the point about it is that you've taken that option because you are not able to pass through that party structure. But
1: but you can represent your constituents and their uh, position.
2: Yes. So there's pros and cons to it. That could be one positive uh, uh, aspect of it. But then remember, and that is where we have our weakness, I believe, in our political systems. A political party has to stand for something, hopefully, uh, and has to actually have policies, real policies. And that's why a strong political party is not just the manifesto, is something which is developed over time and which is concrete. So why I'm just mentioning this is that the independent comes with, yeah, he has his views. He might be good at representing his own constituency to a certain degree, but in terms of being able to push a particular or support a particular policy, which is well
1: grounded and in the long term. Funny enough, I think maybe the political parties in Africa should look to Sierra Leone after 62 years of independence only two parties have held power in that country apart from military rule there have not been a third party to run the country maybe other countries should look to that since independence in 1961 it's either the APC mm. that have been in power when the military was not in power so I mean societies need to develop that sort of uh, support a lot of, of course, there have been smaller parties, but they never have a look in. How would that mm. work in you know, other parts of Africa where they have all 200 parties?
2: But when you look at it, sometimes they are the 200, but then it's still <laughs> the three or four who end up yes. Yes, in power. But then again, uh, the problem, which is a problem, and then now we're talking about conflict and issues such as um, rivalries and potential conflict. And they have the capacity of the multitude of various parties and Parties which, as you were alluding to, this issue of ethnicity, or not only ethnicity, religious, um, extremism, and so forth, these are spoilers, these can have the potential of being spoilers, maybe, um, and and that is why I think what you are mentioning about when you're part of a much larger group, which also has a specific vision and specific vision for the beyond the representation of perhaps ethnic interests or a religious interest a wider agenda we're talking about agendas what agendas do our parties really have the agendas and the policies and if you do not have that we're not looking at very good shape because I mean now from my own personal view sometimes we criticize and probably rightly so the ruling parties and so forth. But when you come into close interaction with some of these opposition parties, you get worried. If that is what is out there, exactly. then you know you, you yeah. get concerned. So all yeah. of this is not necessarily their fault. Sometimes, as you're saying, there is the environment in which they are operating, which can be harsh uh, and very extreme. But then also they themselves need those who recognize and have to have that sense of leadership and seriousness. And that's why building their own capacity beyond winning an election, what capacity do they really have? You know, Do they know anything about economic, the economics of the country or do they even care about knowing? You know, So I think all of that, it, it takes time and it's not all doom and gloom because there are countries where there is that concerted effort And I think all you need to do at it, all you need to do is just look a bit deeper
1: and you see that they've got good lead. Maybe you should also help political parties to have experts who start devising policies and other issues that need to be resolved before an election. I mean, this political party just sit and wait until two or three months before the election before they start working on things. They should work on the issues for the five-year duration when they're in opposition. Don't you think that should be the
2: case? Uh, definitely. And this is also where, just as an example, because we are talking about the network, where we will yes. be able to assist them in developing, in having this capacity, because that's why we have institutions which are part of this network, where we have universities, um, we have uh, research organizations, we have other civil society organizations with capacity and individual experts uh, who've been engaged. So, as long as they're also honest, <laughs> honest yes. enough, and actually want to develop their capacity beyond just you know, rhetoric, because some yes. of them actually, that's what I think there's a level of honesty required, no, are not bothered. They need that win by hook or by crook, and
1: we'll, we'll and see what it. happens yes. later. Yes just go to the motion and then when they get there they do what they like yes
2: but hopefully also with this engagement and exposure because and not necessarily uh, i'm saying exposure outside the continent but we even witnessed it when we brought the two groups together you know sharing experiences from east and from west yes. we're learning about that sort of thing there is a lot of negative Things going on, but there are some positive stories. And yes. Desmond, as you keep on reminding me uh, about the narrative which is out there in the media, and we also want to change that narrative yes. that there are some success stories and there are some positive things going on, and we should try and learn from each other. We don't need to go far, we, we can learn from each other. That's
1: a good point because I mean, where African governments are failing, African leaders are failing, is that they just don't engage with the media. They don't communicate effectively with the people. And that's the main failing for politics in Africa. How will the network help to uh, open up African leaders to the populace so that they can inform them what's going on all the time?
2: Yes, in natural fact, we're also going to uh, invite the media as well, but not invite to cover, but to be able to engage so yes. that we are all, you know, we are also understanding each other's role. Everybody has a role to play in this whole process. And, and a lot of these things which happen are misunderstanding and misgivings and, and misperceptions of each other. I've been in certain uh, circumstances whereby they, somebody will tell you, you know, actually, I've never been in the room with uh, somebody from the opposition or yes. maybe with a security person or with a media person. You even might find that... Uh, uh, the, the average politician is scared of the media because he, he is uh, he, he doesn't know he has not engaged might not know the power of the media might not that fear or so we have to when we start this engagement then we it's not something which we're going to see overnight change yes. but at least we can start
1: so how robust will the uh, the network be in achieving its aims and objectives
2: well we've got an ambitious uh, agenda. We are starting uh, with seven organizations who are really the the founding partners, but each of these organizations have got vast networks. So we want to be able to, uh, in the initial phases, um, apart from some of the technical work which we'll be doing, which is a research uh, capacity building for the political parties, We also want to engage with as many organizations uh, as possible and individuals to make it an inclusive process. So it will be as robust, as committed as we are, and as as much as possible, our outreach uh, extends. But we are are positive about it. And uh, we believe that uh, in a year's time, you might have seen that at least the there might be some positive changes, at least in certain uh, way, uh, business is being conducted in certain places. And we hope to contribute
1: uh, to that. Kenneth MPC, coordinator of the African Interparty
0: Dialogue Network, which was launched in Nairobi on July 13, 2023. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on these and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.